All right. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Matt Agnew, and this is Automation Untangled, a new podcast that we've put together to help with people in the world of RPA, intelligent automation, and really anything in the automation business sector. So I am here with two great guests here from, uh, and so can you just pronounce the name of your organization just to make sure I don't butcher that as well? Of course. It's Kanos. Kanos. That's what I would have said, but I'm glad I checked anyways. Uh, I'm here with Dr. Jenya Dudavera and Rosemary Biacolo. Hi, Jen, Jenya and Rose. How are you today? Hi, we're very well. Thank you. So, yeah. Jenya, why don't you please just give a quick little introduction for everybody? Let us know who you are and your, your role in the automation space. Of course. Hi. Um, my role is um, that of a principal consultant with digital services and specifically intelligent automation at Kanos. And uh, overall, a little bit more about myself. Um, I hold a doctorate degree from University of Toronto, uh, mechanical industrial engineering. And um, as a result, I do have a lot of industrial engineering expertise with operations research, process experience, you name it. But that's not why I'm here. I have been in automation, specifically intelligent automation, for close to a decade right now. And uh, of course, uh, at this stage uh, with Kanos. Nice. And Rose, how about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Rose Biacola or Rosemary Biacola, and I'm an intelligent automation solutions architect with over nine years of experience um, helping our clients on their digital transformation journey, leveraging the intelligent automation technologies. I'm also a certified um, developer for Pega, UiPath, and uh, Power Automate Desktop. Wow, nice. So it sounds like I got two of the right people here for this podcast. So thank you both for coming here. So the idea of this podcast is we know a lot of people out there have a lot of questions and are working in the RPA space. I'm sure you guys have both heard this before. I, I People sometimes refer to the beginnings of intelligent automation and robot, robotic process automation as a wild, wild west. So I think with that, there's a lot people are always looking for more help, more ways to centralize and standardize some practices, more ways to make sure that you're saving as much money as possible and really putting out the best possible automations that you can to save your organization money and make sure that tasks are being done correctly. So, uh, you know, I think we got a little bit into this in your introduction, but why don't um, Dr. Jenya, Dr. Jenya, what, what do you prefer? Dr. Jenya is perfectly fine. Dr. Jenya, great. So why don't you just tell me a little bit about, you know, how you got started in RPA and intelligent automation and kind of what automation, intelligent automation looked like when you first started? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, I'll start with a little bit of a story time. So um, close to a decade ago, I was still a pretty fresh and industrial engineer at the time. And I was doing a little bit of soul searching, going from industry to industry, trying to see where there was the best fit for me. And I see this job posting for an RPA developer slash business analyst. And I was just mystified. Now, I had zero clue what RPA was, which is, by the way, if anyone's searching for jobs, that's wonderful, wonderful place to start your career when you just don't know what you're doing. But uh, it sounded extremely cool to me. I obviously searched it up and absolutely wanted to be a part of this world. And fast forward a little bit, I got the job. Um, I was trained on an RPA tool and ready to go into my first client project. And as you've pointed out uh, just now, it was absolutely a bit of a wild, wild west at the time. Uh, so at least perhaps in Canada or in the environment we were in, there was definitely less standardization, not just for how to implement the bots correctly, but also just how to set it up, what to do with your infrastructure, who should be doing it. So 
long story short, I think my first bots were actual physical PCs that we practically put in some broom closet with like red tape saying, do not turn these off, um, running the automations 24 seven. Um, so that's what was my first experience. And of course it's changed since then, but a little bit more on a serious note, RPA's technology was very, very different years ago and just a few years ago uh, than it is today in so many aspects from tools themselves and their usability and uh, what they were capable of. Uh, things like how well they connected to applications, how much manual tinkering you had to do just to make it run smoothly. So lots of difference from then and now. Is there something that, like something specific that you can think of in your first year of working in this space where, man, I really wish this could happen or I could do it this way that is here now. Is there something you can kind of think of in that kind of realm? Oh yeah, that's a really good question. I think um, there's a lot of, I mean, first it's just a technical capability. I think initially uh, just hearing the term RPA, robotic process automation, um, it created a picture in your mind that was very smart, instantaneous, connecting and rel related to uh, IA and machine learning, et cetera. But it was frankly was not the case at the time, right? Uh, but that's where we are today. There is so much more capability and much more that it can do. So I, I think that's the biggest change for me. It's just the expansion of scope of what RPA is to uh, perhaps deliver on the promise that it was making originally. Yeah, yeah, I still think, I think it's definitely a useful tool, but I don't really think it's really answered its original promise. Because I think originally it, people thought that you were going to buy an RPA tool and anybody with a little bit of technical sense could kind of figure out and automate all of your manual processes. And that, that's certainly not the case, at least in my experience. I, I imagine that's not what you guys are seeing either, I imagine. Yeah, uh, for sure. It's, uh, it's not that, but I think... Uh it is much more getting there. And I think yeah. that the complexity is uh, there is, is also, there doesn't exist one tool that um, like a magic wand is going mm. to fix all of your needs for automation, just because also what is meant by automation differs so much person to person, right? Um, automation can mean simply uh, really smart, efficient algorithms that you implement and code, custom code that you write to connect your applications all from scratch, that can be automation. Um, automation as well can mean, and what it does mean in this context is a more low code, light touch approach that is accessible to more people. And I definitely think that in today's world, it's certainly moving more in the direction of accessible, in the direction of low code and citizen development uh, than ever before. Um, I would just say also to reflect um, individuals who are capable of both developing and running automations have also really changed over time where initially it was much more uh, background on uh, people with coding experience, whereas today there is definitely more need for just process understandment and, uh, understanding and uh, ability to just know your systems and applications and uh, the goals of automation. Nice, you know, and it's making me think, you know, as we kind of get into this, Rose, a question for you, given your role and experience using a lot of these tools that we're talking about, you know, what are some of the biggest challenges you see right now when it comes to managing existing automations? Because I find a lot of times when we talk about 
RPA, it's about it's about creating them, you know, doing something new. But what is really a challenge for you that you see when it comes to managing something that exists now, like something you created a few months ago or a year ago? Yeah, um, from my experience, one of the biggest challenges right now when it comes to managing the existing bots in production is when the bots break, when the target interface um, changes, right? Like that's that happened a lot of time. I've seen a lot of um, RPA bots break down when it encounters scenarios for which um, it, it has not trained or instructed to do. Like we know screen scraping are very popular and easy particularly for non-technical uh, business users, the problem is that they map the layout of the screen. So if something change, bot will have a rough time um, recognizing which field um, to interact with. So planning and designing better bots by anticipating the ways that they might break instead, um, especially when there's no API um, that you can leverage, which certainly lower the odds of the RPA uh, bot can break, right? But definitely not, not to zero. So alternatively to handle that, um, you need to like in, um, in, include more protocols or processes in your um, in your business and in more complex automation is the more, uh, basically you need more solid governance, yeah. And I find that such an interesting thing because when you think about bots breaking, what's interesting about that is when you kind of return to the high level, the whole idea of an automated process is that you're saving money from a manual process. So you have an idea in your head of what this manual process costs. You might say, given the amount of hours this took, this, this process is saving a manual time of $100,000. But when you have bots breaking and you have to add maintenance costs, it, it kind of adds a really added layer of complex of, you know, makes it really more complex and difficult to look at if your bot is really helping the way it should. So what do you guys do in kind of that sense? So do you, how do you kind of factor in these maintenance costs to ensure that your bot is indeed, you know, saving your organization money? Well, um, planning and designing better bots should be. Okay. Yeah, basically the, start the, right from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anticipating the scenarios when or where it might possibly break. Um, for example, the mapping and automation to the exact screen layout of the applications you can have. Um, the bot search for the field description instead to find the appropriate data or use the element ID because sometimes I notice that other developers are using the location itself of the field, right? But using the other attributes might might help. But certainly not in, um, not basically it will lessen it, but not totally gone. Yeah. Nice. And, you know, me, oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's you, you just gave me a good pause on uh, just the cause of automation and maintenance as well. I think to add to what Rose said, uh, she was very correct in stating it's all just it's planning right away. Uh, what it also extends to is planning for who will be doing maintenance and uh, really how okay you are with the particular threshold of exceptions, et cetera, right? Because um, if the bot is automating real human processes that we already know are error prone, there is a built-in cost to all of that errors and natural uh, kind of need to rework. So right away at the very, very initial planning phase, you should be prepared to know that there will be some maintenance needed. There will be uh, need for people attached to uh, ensuring that if the bots go down, somebody needs to take a look at that. And I think that makes sense to me when you're talking about kind of 
if you have a robust team and not that large of you know a, a portfolio of bots because you know blueprint had an experience one time where we had a customer that came to us and we were looking at their environment and we found that this customer had one bot so one bot out of about a thousand bots um that was costing them uh $300,000 a year in just maintenance on average and then also the licensing fee that they were paying for the licensing for the tools they were using and for all the applications was way higher than they expected and it the savings just wasn't there they really had no idea so that that's that um it just i wonder about you know what, what else would you say to kind of add to the practicality of managing that because i do think that is something that you know if you think of the people at the top you know that care about this you know what else are we doing to kind of make sure when we get more and more and more automated processes that each one is really making sense yeah so what do you what else do you kind of say in that honestly situation? like uh, to a question like that i would say uh, at that point you got to pick a better tool <laughs> uh <laughs> there's a lot of automation tools on the market yeah. and uh if you are consistently uh you know running into a situation where a tool is simply not meeting your needs uh, what you have set up to be a standard for yourself from maintenance costs, from quality perspective, then you really need to start taking a look at what needs to be done differently. And I would say that, um, you know, from perspective of automation practitioner, but it's true to any um, IT system, right? If it's really not working for you, um, is it your processes? Is it your governance? Is it your technology? And it can be a combination of things, but it's certainly something that needs to be examined. Right, and it makes, so it sounds like you're saying it's really just taking a step back and looking at yeah. it from the beginning, right? Like you can't really fix it or do much once it's happened, you gotta make sure you're doing it right from the beginning. That's right. Yeah, and with that said, you know, everyone always asks this question. I don't really think there's a right answer. Like, I don't think there really is a correct answer which tool we should use right now. I imagine there's different scenarios, but, so just thinking about that, you know, what do you care about when it comes to selecting or recommending an RPA platform? Yeah, um, it's a really it's a really big question. And I think the answer of it by design can be quite vague um, at the very high level. Um, I would say it needs to fit the organization and it needs to fit the problem. Right. Um, but what does that mean? Because it kind of it necessitates two follow on questions. So how do you know? Uh, that the tool will do the job that you need it to do? And how do you actually know that the tool you're examining is better than other tools at fitting those needs? And that's absolutely not an easy answer. There is a lot of organizations and lists and rankings every single year for RPA tools, and they change very consistently. Um, and you know, we all have our personal opinions on how accurate they are, but the reality remains that the decision needs to be made. And it's interesting, it's a, it's a very saturated uh, field right now with uh, which providers have good automation tools, but there's things like um, technical features, architecture, security, compatibility with your existing systems. All of these things I would say are relevant to the problem you're trying to solve, right? So do I have very specific legacy applications that tool XYZ just states that they're the best at and probably are, um, do I have needs for um, optical character recognition or document understanding that some tools have better built-in functionality than others? So all of that is the problem I'm trying to solve. But the second aspect of that, it's the organizational fit. There are things like 
ownership costs, scalability, ease of use, administrations, and tools will be different according to these things. So uh, cost and license structure are notoriously very, very differing uh, between technologies. Some do volume-based, kind of like how many transactions you're doing. Some license fees are kind of more flat year over year. There's um, options galore. So it really does need to make sense at the very least financially to you, but also scalability wise, right? Like how big is my organization? Uh, how much do I need to uh, process and how, um, what do I need it to be high availability and you know, always on, again, super, super important. And thirdly, I think that's my personal wish list. Um, I love it when a tool is more forward-looking. Um, I like features uh, that integrate more local capabilities because frankly, that's where I think the field is going in, uh, the direction is going in. Um, does it do attended versus unattended automation? Other cloud capabilities, which I think to me is absolutely vital as well today, uh, because that is the big shift right now for um, a lot of applications, um, as well as uh, things like process and task discovery and mining also are super useful. So I think, yeah, that this is an absolutely huge list. A lot of tools on the market will meet a combination of this list for you. So um, as somebody making a decision, um, I think that's... That's how all of the RFP and procurement processes work. You, you create your own list of requirements and try to see which one is going to be the right one for you. It sounds like the typical IT answer of it depends. Absolutely. <laughs> it's the dreaded answer. It's the IT <laughs> consulting. Uh, it's everything. But uh, it sadly is the reality. And that's really great. And you know what I think was good about this is, you know, I think if we had asked this question know, five years ago or even three years ago, I think we people, a lot of people would have said Blue Prism or UiPath right away, right? Because there was kind of one. And what I like about this, and I was thinking about this the other day, where RPA tools have kind of evolved the way car manufacturers had. You know, back in the day, you know, I remember, I'm going to age myself a little, but I remember if you had a Hyundai, it was like a joke. You know, you'd get made fun of if you had a Hyundai. And now everybody has them and they're a great usable car. And there's really no such thing as a bad car. It's just really, what do you need? Right? What is the space you need? What is the price point you want? But every manufacturer makes a great car. And I think it's the same situation for these RPA tools. There's really not, they're all doing a great job and they're all things that are out there. It's just, what do you need in that moment? So, Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, that is uh, a really great analogy. And um, I would caveat it a little bit with um, sort of the, the playing field shifts very, very quickly in RPA world. And uh, despite the fact that, Unlike the car analogy, um, a lot of tools don't continue just getting better over time. Uh, some emerge out of nowhere and take yeah. the other ones completely um, out. Uh, and uh, some tools, you know, they, it's a constant process of catching up, finding out something new, doing better than your competitors. So it's, it's a pretty fluid uh, world that I think we are right now in RPA. So, you know, and with that note, you know, talking about fluid, there's this idea of kind of you know, switching tools. And, you know, if you're just adding something new, like some people do have a multi-vendor approach, which is great. But let's say some people don't like that. You know, some IT companies, they want to just have one thing for what they're doing. So, you know, think of like as a role play. Imagine I am a customer coming to you guys and I really don't like my current tool. It's too expensive. And then you give me a quote or tell me what's involved in switching and moving everything to a new one. I just, that just seems way too hard. 
So where, where do we go from there? When I just say like, what's, it just seems more trouble than it's worth to move. So where do you guys kind of go from there? It's, it's daunting, isn't it? Um, I would say, so this is a classic example of sunk cost fallacy, right? You do know it's not working. You do know a lot of investment has gone into make this work. You maybe have 50, 100 processes all uh, on one technology and you just want to switch. So one, I would say it doesn't need to be that difficult. Um, the big promise of intelligent automation technologies, which I do think is deliberate, is that first of all, their footprint is relatively light comparing to some other technologies. And therefore, just from technical perspective, it's not as costly as switching, you know, let's say a full on ITSM system. Uh, but nevertheless, work still needs to be done. Um, and from technical perspective, of course, there is the question of what do I do with all of the existing automations, all of the existing codes? Uh, it sounds like an absolute headache. And uh, big road, this can be an absolutely big roadblock the more processes you have in place. Um, I would say, First of all, there's a couple of aspects to it. One, there's just general good development practices and documentation that allow you to have good structure for the code that you have created and thus make it more portable. Uh, but secondly, um, and a bit of a drum roll as well, there are tools on the market um, that have the capability to, uh, to help you make the switch from one to another. And I, I think that is absolutely brilliant. Um, to have the proactiveness to anticipate that uh, customer need. Yeah, you know, and, and Rosie, have anything else to add in that kind of world? Again, like I'm really interested in your perspective too, given kind of your role and kind of the more hands-on stuff. So what else do you, would you kind of add on there when people are saying, ah, it's too hard. I don't want to switch tools. Yeah, I agree with what Daniel mentioned, like in terms of, um, switching RP platforms if you have like solid governance and and like if you build like the the coe or the center excellence uh, team well and the the switching will be much easier right like everything is documented and and um there are a lot of organizations that has more than one rpa platform they make sure that they base it based on um, the the needs of the of the business or, or certain departments, but 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 yeah, I'm, I I think it was not really like that um, daunting for for me. Yeah, mm -hmm. but, but yeah, it's, it's solid governance would would help. You know, it sounds like you guys are just so organized. You do things right in the in the beginning, and you don't have to worry <laughs> about the problems later. So I think everyone's going to be wishing they had a rose and a genia. They're around with this but it's it's I, I everything you're saying makes a complete sense to me but you know as blueprint we talk to a lot of companies that are that's where they are they want to switch and they're they're struggling and it's people just they don't know what to do you know they just say it's too hard or it's going to take 10 years if they have big ones and they, yeah there, there's been people that just say they just throw up their hands and say it's just not going to work we just we're just going to stay on the old one and so i've seen it it happen one thing i would add to this as well is first of all a good thing about intelligent automation and rpa is first of all it's relatively easy and fast to code uh, to develop a process end to end right and therefore redoing it um theoretically should take shorter because yeah as we said assume you have done good process documentation so you already know your as is process you know how it needs to be tweaked to make work so the task then 
I wouldn't say trivial, but it really becomes um, all about just switching from one tool to another and recoding the specific actions and steps uh, rather than doing it completely from scratch. So even um, you know if there wasn't anything uh, kind of like helping you uh, along the way, um, it can still be managed just your own team. So, you know, all three of us have been kind of in the, you know, this technical space for a while, you know, what is it that people just, and I've seen really good companies, really solid companies, really strong risk management policies, and then they're running a Windows 1995 server. Like, well, what is it that people just hang on to old things? Like, it's, <laughs> like it's I get it. There's always that answer of, oh, well, the application has to stay on this one, but it just, it seems like it's, it's just a fear to switch. I mean, you know the risk. Like we know what happens if you have Windows 95. We know what happens if we're on an RPA platform with that we're paying too much money. We all get it, but we just hang on Listen, to it. It's a, it's a good question. I um I I often tease my own father about thinking really fondly about Windows XP. Nobody can explain it, and I still think really fondly on it as well in my head. But um. It's a, I think it's a complex answer. I've certainly definitely seen clients on some very, very old applications. And I think the reality of it is somewhat varied, right? You often have uh, staff who are trained on a particular end client application, and uh, they seem to be not complaining too much. Um, and maybe you consider that retraining, redoing, um, you know, moving all of the data from one to another, it's just too daunting. And you end up with legacy applications that just keep going for a really, really long period of time. Um, similar with RPA tools as well, I think it's the same thing. Like you perhaps know this tool, you know all of its shortcomings. Maybe you even, uh, you're really comfortable <laughs> raising all of the support requests for the many issues you keep having with it, but it sort of becomes dear to you after a while. And I think with uh, all of things like that, it's the fear of switching and fear of not known, uh, of unknown in terms of what happens next, right? Because every single new tool you then view as kind of a new Pandora box. And what if it's actually not better than the last one? So it becomes kind of uh, a very, very difficult decision to manage. It's funny. I, I was I was at a, a major hospital this week with my son at an appointment, and you know we're in this room and there's these incredible scanning things and this technology and these screens and this amazing 3D technology they're using. And then the doctor goes to put in his notes in his computer, and it looks like he's playing Oregon Trail. Like you know, like it's just people just hold on to these these old things. And yeah. Hey, you know what? Uh, you've hit on a nerve. I've worked in healthcare <laughs> for a really long time, so I'm intimately familiar with kind of the shortcomings of tools that can be available there. But it, it, it's definitely like it's um, a lot of this is about training and what individuals are used to, um, and definitely the difficulty with um, engaging in a entire change management um, mm -hmm. culture. Yeah, and you know, and, and as we're talking about these tools and involving, you know, Blueprint, we, we've been keeping our eyes on all the tools. You know, again, they're they're all they all have their merits. They're all great in a lot of ways. But one that we've been kind of keeping our eye on is you know, Microsoft's Power Automate, uh, especially the Power Automate desktop. And I always look at it, again. We're talking about IT, and you know, we've all had a long career in IT. Microsoft has its history of coming in late and then figuring it out. Like I remember, even just a couple of years ago, Microsoft Teams where I was, I was at an IT company at the time 
And I remember it was a joke when people wanted to use Microsoft Teams as their VoIP system. And it came in after, you know, after Zoom and after WebEx and, you know, we're already well established. And then there was companies like Ring Central, like it was way, way, way behind. And then you would look at their feature list and you would look at a feature list from like Zoom or Ring Central and it's this long. And then the Teams one was this long. You couldn't even transfer calls. And then just a year later, they figured it out, and it's it's a, a great usable solution. I think they did the same thing years before with with um, OneDrive and SharePoint. They just kind of figure it out. So, what do you guys think? Where do you guys think um, that's going to go? You know, Power Automate. Like, do you do you see that as becoming like one of the top players, or is that just going to be another one of many solutions? Yeah, I'll I'll keep my my answer uh, political. I suppose I've got my own personal <laughs> opinions, but. Um, I'll share some of it. So one, I do agree a couple of years ago when uh, Power Automate and just their kind of IA adjacent technologies became uh, available, um, they were not scalable or as ready nearly to the extent that UiPath uh, or Blue Prism or even automation anywhere of the world were yeah. at the time. And today it's really different, uh, super, super different. Um, I think they do approach um, automation differently and they come from um, a sort of different angle. Uh, but um, to me, they're moving very strongly and in step with the low code direction. Yeah. Um, and they certainly have a lot of capabilities related to from data modeling, visualization, all of that integration with AI, ML. So uh, I see that as a very strong uh, positive and um, I can't see that not being um, a successful strategy for them. But uh, Rose, what do you think? Yeah, um, I will see it like as a general, the whole intelligent automation in the next couple of years, the impact will still gonna continue, like certainly much mature um, capability than it currently um, is at the moment, which means higher cognitive um, capabilities or technologies such as artificial intelligence, deep learning, computer vision, and, and et cetera. And the bots will become more useful, uh, more intelligence, and it may soon incorporate like voice functionality, we never know, and could, yeah, include more integrations on IoT devices, which will create flood of new data for organizations to collect, store, and, and use, right? Yeah. yeah, so integrations are, you see that as being a really important thing as well. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, like to the question of integration and bringing it to Microsoft product, like, that is what they do. It is yeah. integration with mm -hmm. other existing applications. And coincidentally, uh, virtually everyone has Microsoft and my, use, utilizes their technology. So um, I think like for them, uh, what a great space to be in. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, I'm a bit skeptical of the concept of true, true citizen development. Like I, I really think the, the promise that your regular everyday workers are going to be able to create their own their own automations and automate their own processes. I really don't think it's it's we're anywhere close to it. I don't even know if it'll ever really happen, to be honest. But I think if anybody's going to get close, I think it has to be Microsoft, just because that's, you know, I, I've worked in IT companies, but I'm not an IT guy. I call myself, you know, technology adjacent, and I'm not a developer at all. But I remember trying to use Power Automate in the cloud to just simple things like, you know, after a report was done, send it out to everybody automatically once a week in Teams and stuff like that. And and but but it still was kind of hard, you know, for someone that's 
understands technologies in the technology space, I still struggled with it. So again, I, that's why I wonder, so do you guys see real true citizen development where the receptionist at a company can automate three of her own processes herself? You see us getting there? Um, I would say I, I, I certainly do. And perhaps it's a little bit of wishful thinking, but I would leave you with a thought that uh, it's it's goes both ways. Technologies changed and evolve. And I think uh, with platforms like Microsoft Power Platform, uh, they have shifted and evolved over the past few years to be much more usable uh, and friendly to citizen development. But second aspect is human aspect and uh, what people and citizen developers um, understand their role to be with, as it relates to technologies that they use. Um, I would say it's not completely, it cannot be denied that uh, an average uh, worker of today is much more technologically savvy than uh, 15, 20, even 10, five years ago, which it goes in a direction of uh, kind of working naturally closer to automation. So I think um, from a developer or just regular worker perspective, there is an evolving view of, hey, I can actually do this. I can automate my own tasks. So it's it's a little bit of a perception shift there. And of course, second aspect is uh, how the technology changes over time um, and um, becomes more just low code, no code friendly. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Like it, it's good to be skeptical. Um, yeah. I personally really love the field. So I, I wanted to see it progress and uh, really continue being very useful. Yeah, I just I just think there's such a thing as a developer brain. And I, you both obviously have it. You guys understand the logical structure of things. I think sometimes, I think that these tools have to evolve past that point where you need the developer brain to do it. Because I do really think you need that for, for, um, for, for even the easiest tools out there, right? I mean, even some of the simple ones that just integrate you know, here or there that aren't even RPA tools. Like you just, you still kind of have to understand. I mean, in marketing, we use marketing tools where we have workflows and it's still like, I kind of look at it sometimes like, what, like, where's that going? But, you know, but I imagine one of you two would just progressively make more sense just looking at it, like looking at the matrix, right? It just- oh, but, uh, So how, how about those marketing tools that he used that have the workflows changed over time? Were they clunkier before and less- Oh, clunkier? they're way better. Yeah, they definitely oh, evolved. Yeah, and that's what it happens. And I think that's absolutely going to be the case for um, intelligent automation tools as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I You know what? You've convinced me. <laughs> it's going to get there. <laughs> No, I, I do. I just, I just think that it's been sort of uh, the citizen development has been a bit of a, a myth for a while, right? Where it's and, and there are companies that have done it that are have successful citizen development initiatives. I just, you know, I've worked in enough companies and seen kind of frontline people that just they're never going to figure it out themselves. And I and, and I think I with the way the tools are today, right? So once the tools evolve, then maybe we'll get there. Yeah, for so. sure. And so yeah. again, like we'll we'll uh, we'll believe it when we see it. Then <laughs> uh, we'll have to do another one of these podcasts, and you can you can tell. Yeah. Say, tell Fast so forward a couple of years, and happens, then we know. can argue all over again. Ah, <laughs> uh -huh, Matt, told you. Yeah. Well, you know, thank you both so much. This is great, and you know, hopefully, we'd love to you know do this again. Like I, I was telling you guys when we were setting up, I think there's 250 million podcasts in the world, so why not have another one? So let's we'll yeah. we'll keep this going. I'd love to talk to both of you again. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much you for having us. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.